So this podcast is Zero G, a history of forgotten phones from the people who lived it. I'm Christy Pitts. I did almost 13 years of time at Verizon, and I'm joined with... Hi, I'm Peter Rojas, and uh, wow, I'm a phone nerd like Christy, and uh, you may know me. I was the founder of Gizmodo and then Engadget, and uh, covered the space pretty closely for a long time. But we're not just phone nerds. We're also venture capitalists now, which is kind of weird, but, uh, and I'm a partner at Betaworks Ventures, and Christy? I'm a partner at Backstage Capital. And uh, when we're not, I guess, investing in startups, we're still nerding out about phones. So Totally. I was just today, all this morning, looking at the new iPhone rumors versus the new Google Pixel 3. I am torn because I actually might switch back to Android this time around. See, I'm on Android right now, and I've been, I've been thinking about iOS. I really miss the messaging. Oh, with the, uh, being on I, well, I, yeah, I've, I've been, uh, I've managed to switch most of my messaging to telegram oh. and, uh, which is it's just, I have no cross platform pr- problems anymore. It's like desktop, iPad, phone, whatever phone I'm on, I, I'm good. Oh, that's a good tip because right now my messaging situation is not good. You just have to force everybody in your life to switch to telegram, <laughs> <laughs> but All it's right, worth I'll it. Right the list. It's totally worth it. Okay. But we're not here to talk about anything current new, phones. nothing no. current. This is a podcast where we are going to look back at the phones that time has forgotten. The history. The history of forgotten phones, but the golden age of phones, right? It's like kind of 2002 to 2007 before the iPhone, before iPhone and Android came up, came out and dominated. There were what there were like six or seven different. There were choices. Platforms. There were choices. There was competition. But also, phones got weird. So <laughs> weird. <laughs> like that's like the we part were... that I think we've forgotten about. Yes, like there are some real gems that we're going to talk about. So uh, this is going to be a, a limited run podcast. <laughs> I don't know how many episodes <laughs> it's going to be uh, until we pop run up, out of a pop up podcast. podcast, limited edition. Download while you can. No, we'll keep it up for a while, but uh, forever, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we're going to do what we're thinking is each episode, we'll pick a couple of years, go back in time and talk about some of the awesome and weird and failed phones, smartphones of that time and our own sort of experience working in this air, working in this space. Uh, obviously, you are on the retail, you start off on the retail side, which is amazing. It was so me. fun. Honestly, teaching people how to use smartphones and email and all of that stuff back in 2005, it was a good time. People must have come in and had no idea. <laughs> like, people must have come in with the weirdest problems. Yes. With their phones. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, okay. Well, we're going to talk about all that, but uh, I I want to start, I, I when we started talking about this, Christy, I, I would say we had to start with the Trio 600. Go back yes. to 2003. Because to me, that was the phone, that was my first smartphone, but that was also the phone that kind of changed everything for me where I thought it finally came together. Also, the Trio 600 was a total status symbol. Oh, I mean, absolutely. It's, um, yeah. I, I think it was in, in a lot of ways, the iPhone of its time. And we're not, I mean, it's about five years before the iPhone, but uh, I, maybe we should give a little bit of background where this is a Palm OS phone. So yes. Palm... Uh, created the line of PDAs, the the Palm Pilots, 
and then um, it was sort of seemed inevitable that they would add phones to these things. And but the trio was actually originally made by a company called Handspring, That's which right. was the, I think it was the founders of Palm who left and started this new company, and then they created the Trio line. And the Trio 600 was the first good phone that they made. I mean, there were some earlier ones, but then they, Palm ended up buying Trio or buying Handspring. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I was thinking about the trio in preparation for our conversation today. And one thing that I realized, which is a very, I don't, I don't even, I cannot even characterize this observation, but you know how there's a trend right now in smartphone cases, which is like the wallet style case. Yeah. I feel like the trio 600 was the first version. Like that was when it was really popular the first time around. With With the wallet style. Yeah, you, like the leather, the leather case. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Hold yeah. the top down instead of from the side. Yeah. Um, so there was something about a Trio 600 owner would like walk into the Verizon store, right? <laughs> They'd walk up to the counter, <laughs> put their Trio down on the counter and then flip the case open. And it was like such a a clear symbol of how they wanted to be treated. Yeah. Like they came in with that true in their hand. Like I am your VIP. Get ready. Well, it was a serious phone. I mean, it, for, for people that have never heard of it and, and um, hopefully there are some people that are kind of listening because they want to take the walk down memory lane. And I think others who uh, hopefully want to educate themselves about this incredibly <laughs> niche area. Um, but the trio was, it had had, it had a screen, it had a little screen, um, Color it's screen. A touch screen. It but a it's a touchscreen with a t- stylus and then below it, uh, a keyboard. So it looked a little bit like a, like a, like a Blackberry ish, I guess what people think of as a Blackberry um, and had this like stubby antenna at the top. Yep. Uh, a mem- it looked like a little thumb yeah. sticking out from the top. A yeah. memory card slot. Uh, yep. And the memory card was actually, I don't, I don't know. Do you, do, I don't know if you remember this, but the Trio 600, if the battery drained entirely on the Trio 600, it was, yes. the phone was wiped. I remember this vividly. <laughs> Did people come in with that problem? <laughs> yes. Yes. All the time. And they would always say, and then the question, our first question was whether or not they had docked the phone. Uh, remember? Yep. Because oh, it had a dock. Like That's right. So that was how you would sync up all of your email. You would charge <laughs> the phone with your dock and then all of your email would hard sync to the phone. That was right? how I, that's how I got my calendar synced. It was, I, right. I had to, um, dock it you had to i mean you could pull email off the cloud i mean off the or if you had right. a, but yeah you had to sync it for your contacts and your calendar and all these things uh at the time i just remember i, did, I had a dock and i just kept it on my desk and i just synced it all day um mm-hmm. but if your phone died i actually kept a backup of my a kind of a basic backup on the um mm-hmm. on the on the memory card and i had to boot i'd basically restore from the memory card more than once which was insane to think about now i think the other thing that's important to mention here is that now today like we're all really familiar with the pain of your phone battery dying and there's like mophies and stuff like that that's available but back in this day your choices were you could purchase a trio or you could purchase a flip phone and the battery on a flip phone would last for like two weeks (laughs) Oh, it was like it wasn't like today where all of the smartphones have a relatively similar battery life yeah. and and everyone kind of knows what to expect. People that moved from a basic phone to a trio were in for a surprise when they realized that their phone battery is only going to last them maybe a day, a couple days if they were lucky. No, oh, yeah, you had to charge. I mean, you had to charge every day. I mean, I charge my phone every day now, yeah. but you absolutely had no choice. And 
uh, I think it was a change in behavior for, for people uh, that they had to acclimate to. And so, okay, I have something funny. I found an article from the New York Times Magazine from January 2004, where about okay. the Trio 600 uh, that I'm in, actually. And here, I'm going oh, yeah. to read it to you. Okay. okay, I'm ready. It's by Rob Walker. Uh, it says, as the editor of Gizmodo, a weblog that traffics in the latest news about gadgets from cell phones to laptops, Peter Rojas is bombarded with email from people who want to hear or spread the latest gossip about this or that device or innovation. innovation. But the anticipation around one particular gizmo stood out over the past year, a so-called smartphone. And smartphone is two words there. Uh, it was before people said smartphone. Yeah. It was PDA. It's PDA. PDA phone. In fact, I think people thought it was going to maybe be called a PDA phone. Uh, smartphone. Or a pocket PC. <laughs> We're going to get to that. Okay. <laughs> That's coming. Uh, smartphone note as the Trio 600 made by Palm One. And I forgot it was Palm One because remember they split into oh, two yeah. companies, a software yeah. company and a hardware company. What? In, that was the dumb, one of the dumbest things. It'd be like if Apple said, hey, we're going to have an iOS company and an iPhone company. But this is not that uncommon, actually, if you look across, like as we look at the history of these phones, uh, I think a really good example of this is Google, right? Try, like, yeah, well, trying to split up, yeah, yeah. trying to be a platform, but it's yeah, um, but at the time it Again. it turned out to be a really bad move for them. But okay, right. so anyway, so right. the buzz started in June, months before the phone became available in the United States, when a certain photograph was posted on online message boards. I remember finding that photo and posting it. The photo of company executives at a press conference had been blown up to highlight a prototype of the device that one of them was holding. People were going crazy, Rojas says. It sounds like me. Um, so uh, it's. This was the phone, like you said, this was sort of the the it device. It was one something that I remember going to conferences and every like web developer and graphic designer, they all had this phone. They've all switched to iPhones. But at the time, this right. was like the cool phone. Right. Yes. Uh, it was definitely a status symbol. Uh, I, I remember impressing people. I, I put videos on it and uh, and that blew people's minds that you could watch your video on a phone. Well, this is back in the day when if you wanted to watch a video, you had to have a mobile, um, a portable DVD player. Oh, darn. It's hard to fathom this, but if we think about it, it actually, did the, did the 600 even have a camera, the first version? Uh, it had a, well, I'm looking it up, a 0.3 megapixel camera. Right. So this is like the, the days, the very beginning days of camera phones, and you couldn't take video. No, it didn't. This one did. Yeah, you're right. It did not. It could not record video. And um, it also, the thing that is hilarious to me is is 160 by 160 pixel screen, which would be a tiny corner of your iPhone today. Also, can we talk about how long these videos were that you were showing on your (laughs) 600? Because that memory card was not a micro memory card no. it wasn't mini yeah. what was it 128 uh, i think at the time i could maybe afford the 32 or the 16 um oh yeah so <laughs> I, I yeah it was pretty compressed and uh it was like the equivalent of showing one commercial yeah but and also um well didn't you have to com- put everything to some weird format that only palm yeah, you had to manually convert yeah. and compress it. So that was, uh, yeah, it was fine. Of course, you had to sync everything. Um, but there was, a, a, I mean, Palm OS did have a pretty robust ecosystem for the time. And I used to play Monopoly on my trio, Dope Wars. <laughs> um, I had a, a... Five out of five yeah, had Monopoly. Yeah. <laughs> I used to play, uh, I used to have um, 
Okay, so this is this is how like nerdy I got about this. Uh, I wanted G- Google made a Java like a Gmail app, a, a, a jar app, and um, mm-hmm. it didn't run natively on the Trio, but IBM made a Java virtual machine for Palm OS. So if you installed that, mm-hmm. you could then install this Java app, this Gmail Java app. And it like mainly worked, but not always. Yeah, that was deep. That's, that, <laughs> I, I love this phone. I, I remember waking up in the morning and being able to check email on my without having to get out of bed. And that just changed my life. So I think the two that I think we should point out about this was the design of the hardware. So the Trio 600, that hardware design carried through to the 700 Mm -hmm. and the 700W and then the 700WX. I don't think it got a hardware refresh until the pre, right? Pretty, Yeah, not really. I mean, they stuck with it for a long time. And and I think they got rid of the antenna at some point, which I guess we can talk about. But but yeah, they, they held on. The keyboard, I mean, there were some refinements, but and the screen resolution got better. But you're right, that basic form factor stayed the same for a long time. Yep. Although I do, this is also a, a point in time in history where every manufacturer had their own proprietary charging mechanism. Yes. So Trio had the dock, but on top of that, if you wanted to go from like, like later we'll talk about BlackBerry, right? Yeah. But if you had BlackBerry and you wanted to move from BlackBerry to a pocket PC, life was rough. Oh yeah, they all had a proprietary connector, and and the fact that micro was it's micro USB came out and sort of everyone standardized around that was uh, that was a huge deal. That was a huge huge deal. I still have a drawer yes. with connect. I remember I'm like. I may need a connector for that Sony Ericsson phone someday, you know, uh, like if someone brings a Sony Ericsson phone over to my house and they need to charge it, like, what are they going to, you know, like I'm going to need that. Uh, yeah. So, you know, should we talk about the sidekick while we're think, talking about old QWERTY phones? We should, because the, what else? Because if we think about the landscape at the time that the trio was out, right, you have the trio 600. You have a whole bunch of flip phones that don't really have any differentiating features except for maybe a camera or video capture opportunity. And then you have the beginning of the QWERTY yeah. keyboard phones, like QWERTY keyboard, what you might call like a dumb phone today or a feature phone today. Did, and, and, you know, it was exclusive to T-Mobile. So at least it was initially. Um, it was yeah, exclusive it was, to T-Mobile. But uh, so I remember... The, at the time that the sidekick came out, I was an I was an undergrad, and one of my friends, um, who also works in our industry today, yeah. which is funny, she had a sidekick, and she had an embezzled sidekick. Not embezzled, okay. bedazzled. I was going to say embezzled. <laughs> I, I no, want bedazzled. I want to hear that story. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I got some stories like that, but yeah. not about the sidekick. But anyways, okay. bedazzled sidekick. And that was like the time of Paris Hilton. Yeah, so I, I wrote a story about that. So I was jealous, so her, jealous. So, so the t- so but, sidekick, yeah. just I, I, by danger, by which danger. is Andy Rubin, the guy who ended up leaving to start Android, um, which and now essential. and now essential. Uh, so he he started off. It was started off as the company Danger. The original life was called the Hip Top, and it was kind of like a, a like a two way pager like device. The the screen kind of flipped up, right? That's where the the hip top kind of name comes from. And there's like a key QWERTY keyboard and it was meant to be like a messaging focused phone. In fact, 
I remember at the time during like the Gizmodo and Gadget era, there was sort of this argument as, uh, as to whether the sidekick really even counted as a smartphone because it didn't really, you couldn't really just develop apps for it um, the way that you can. Well, it had yeah. Brew, right? Or whatever the equivalent was. So you could go online with it, but the problem was- Brew, well, I haven't thought about Brew in, in so long. Where we were. Oh yeah. The networks were yeah. so slow. So if you wanted to go online, I mean, we're talking- latency of like you would wait like a minute or two minutes for a well, single so, page to load yeah because this was in the, the era of i mean gprs was the data standard on uh gsm and i can't believe i i'm looking this mm -hmm. up because i don't remember it offhand but general packet radio service so that's 2g speeds and that was slow it was really slow i don't even think honestly i don't think people can conceptualize this today like if if i was going to ask my niece and nephews they could not even comprehend what 2G service was like. You basically couldn't do anything. I mean, that was, uh, I, I remember, yeah. I mean, you could sort of get text to work, but if you wanted to, I mean, you're not downloading, you're not downloading videos, web, web pages were a mess. I mean, this is during the WAP era, which was, um, not to bring it like that far back, but like this WAP even kind of predates what we're talking about, but yeah. WAP was this sort of standard for, for, uh, for, really stripped down web it's like it's almost like if they took like google amp and just stripped it down to like nothing um to basically just text and um and and that's what you got um and so you know fortunately i mean people weren't trying necessarily to do as much but uh if you couldn't things like sharing photos and you know i mean you could do email but i remember if i needed to sync, like pull down a bunch of email from on my on my trio i mean it's like good luck you might as well just wait until you get, you know, back to uh, your computer to sync. Because the other thing we should mention is smartphones didn't have Wi-Fi at this time. Right. Well, Wi-Fi didn't have Wi-Fi. I mean, it existed, but it wasn't like how it is today where yeah. everyone has Wi-Fi in their home. I mean, my parents, I think my parents got DSL in 2003. So a lot of people were still on dial-up back yeah. in these days. Well, so GPRS, GPRS is like dial-up. I guess the dial-up equivalent um, and what was right. the, the CDMA equivalent? Was that one XRTT or was there something before? Yeah, that's what I One XRTT. I'm trying to keep yeah. these. Up. And then there was, um, video. But what was, was the, was there, was there a CDMA equivalent to edge? Because edge was sort of like GPRS, but a little bit faster. Yeah. I think it was just eVideo because there was something called Reve, Revision A that allowed yeah. for faster. But eVideo was actually functional. Cause I remember getting an, a Verizon eVideo card. I don't know when did, yeah, what was an it? Air card. Going way back in the day. Yeah. Broadband access. And, uh, That's what we used to call it. It was broadband access it was and mobile broadband. $80 yeah, a month. $80 a month for. But you could get. What, what did you get for that? Was it unlimited? I think it was, I think it was unlimited. See, but here's the, speed, the thing. I mean, the speeds were, I mean, they were at the time they were, they fell fast, but. Well, what's interesting is like if you're listening to this and you've only ever had like unlimited messaging, for example, on your personal cell phone plan, that was not a thing back in this time. So like if you had the sidekick and you were a heavy text user, you could max maybe get what, 10,000 messages, maybe 5,000 messages. You. And then they charge you per message after that? Per message after that. I remember getting a $600 <laughs> cell phone bill. And I think I was on a plan that was called like text not talk. And I love how blood that is. It was a thousand messages. Yo, <laughs> yeah. text not talk. And my dad like, 
he set this plan up and he was like, yeah, it's like perfect for you, honey. Like just don't ever talk, just text message. No one. And in his mind, no one could yeah. use a thousand messages. Like he thought that was this insane amount. And then the first month the bill was, well, was so that high. during the era. I can't believe how many we're going down a lot of rabbit holes here, but do you remember that there was this point when <laughs> you couldn't SMS across carrier? Yes. And also group texting was not a thing either. Like there was no group messaging yeah. like what we have today. Everything was, uh, well, I don't even want to talk about T9, but um, the, uh, <laughs> but no, but you used to like have to hoard everything, like hoard your minutes, hoard your messages, hoard your data. I mean, you still kind of have to hoard your data a little bit. Like I just got an alert from AT&T that I was coming very close to going over my data cap for uh, the month. And um and then I'm looking, I'm trying to figure out like, what am I doing that's using this much data? And I still can't figure it out. But um, but at the time, you had to really, you know, worry about this stuff. And, um, uh, you know, the, the carriers, their entire business model was predicated on um, charging you as much as possible. Yeah, on overages and charging you as much as possible for text and voice, which really... D- I, I mean, you worked at a carrier. It doesn't actually cost them that much to deliver a text message. Yeah. And actually what else is interesting is that text messaging didn't really have, it didn't, I, I don't know, explain, know how to explain this, but like the adoption of text messaging was slow. Like I can remember when I first started working at Verizon, we used to have these drills and games about um, demoing text messages and showing customers how to use texting. And like as a company, we... Uh, managers would communicate via text to email to employees and vice versa because they were trying to instill the habit and behavior change. And it was a big change. Like I can remember for years, customers coming in and saying, I only want to phone that makes <sighs> phone calls. Like, don't, don't make me send a text message. I don't do that. Especially when it was just flip phones because these QWERTY keyboards were very rare yeah. and they were kind of a gimmicky thing. So for um, anybody that was not, kind of like millennial or younger text messaging was foreign to them and they didn't want to adopt and, and what was the um for people that were coming in looking for you know smartphones or qwerty phones at the time um what was that what were what were the what kind of people were coming in because i remember you know having covered this stuff for gizmodo and gadget at the time especially kind of 2002 2005 era was there was this idea of smartphones those are for those are for business people right? Regular people aren't going to want these. I interviewed Bill Gates in 2005. And one of the questions I asked him was, when are you going to make a phone that I actually said, I think that my mom is going to want to buy that, you know, people that aren't, um, you know, are you going to continue to position these phones like Windows Mobile for kind of business users? Like they thought BlackBerry was the big target. And that was turned out to be a huge mistake. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, it was just business people. And actually I worked in, so I started working at Verizon in, in San Jose area. And it was really interesting because what I didn't realize was happening at the time, but now looking back was people were actually doing market research by coming in and talking to us, Yeah, uh, people that worked at these companies, right? Especially I can remember distinctly in 2006, someone coming in and asking me what I thought about Apple launching. Oh, interesting. Phone. And I was basically like, uh, I'm a salesperson and these yeah. are the apples that I have on my cart. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, come back and talk to me when, like, when I'm right. When you're I like, I have an audio it, box I, I can sell you. My, yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, so you're interested in having music on your phone? <laughs> Let me show you all the options, right? 
But like um, also the engineers for different companies would come in and it would be funny because we, we really got an interesting cross-section of people. Like sometimes I would be trying to show people whatever technical yeah. advance. There was like haptic feedback, for example, when that became a thing. And I remember one time this woman was like, oh, yeah, I have the patent on that. No. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. <laughs> Like, why did I just demo this to you for 15 minutes? Were you just like checking the training or whatever? Um, but then also there was a, a really a lot of people for a long time were just yeah. trying to keep their lives simple. Um, this was also the time period where not everyone had a phone. And um, local number number portability had recently become a thing too. So that's the ability to bring yeah. your number from one carrier to another. So that was still like the time where it was like Adeline for $9.99 and we would do these crazy buy one, get ones on cheap flip phones. And people would come in and buy well, five phones whole, at once. For their whole family? On new numbers. Yeah. Well, yep. I, yeah. I, I mean, I think that's the thing that's kind of hard to, to remember now. I mean, looking back 10, 15 years is that it was a big, there was this huge kind of wave of adoption where everyone was kind of getting their first getting their first phone or getting their first smartphone. And, um, and everything felt up for grabs in this way that, I mean, it clearly isn't now, but- if you go back to 2004, 2005, 2006, which is what we're trying to do in this podcast, right? Is that there was, nobody kind of knew what was going to happen. I mean, there were how many different smartphone platforms, right? There was Windows Mobile. There was uh, the different flavors of Symbian. There was Palm OS. There was BlackBerry. There was the T-Mobile sidekick, hip top stuff. Um, I know I'm forgetting some other ones here. <laughs> um, the uh, what, what other ones am I forgetting? Well, there was also like, the thing is you had um, handset manufacturers who were trying to get in the game too. So you have like Samsung and LG coming out with different things on their own. And then the carriers put a ton of customization yep. on deck, top of that. Right. Wasn't that the, uh, the, the, the thing where the, the developers had to like pay to get their apps on the phone? Oh yeah. Cause we, we had at Verizon, we yeah. called it the get, get it, it now, now store. store. And that was where you could, you could get it now, whatever <laughs> apps you needed. <laughs> well, um, so, uh, I had a, I mean, there's so many phones to talk about from this era. Um, should we talk about the razor? Cause that was such an iconic, I mean, it wasn't really a smartphone, but it was an iconic, yes. phone, the, the Moto razor. It was an iconic phone. And you know, what else was iconic about the razor is this was the first flip phone that used the branding where it was, it had a name versus like a, um, barcode. So like if you yeah. had a trio, everyone knew you had a trio, or if you had a sidekick, you had a sidekick. But if you had a, you know, like yeah. XV6600, VX4500, yeah. no one knew what you had, right? But you, people well, knew what and you that had. Was a, uh, I mean, and that was a big shift because I remember, okay, so I remember and, uh, one of the things when I, you know, would interact with people from Verizon, like on the PR side, one of the things they would always tell me is that uh, the phones are, don't really matter. It's really about the network. Like we don't, we want to emphasize the network and not, not the phone, which I get because, you know, Verizon obviously had, and I think arguably continues to have superior network and, and they were focusing on sort of the service, the, the superior service and et cetera, et cetera. But this is a time when people were walking into stores, I'm presuming, and they were asking for specific phones. They weren't walking in trying to just like figure something out. Right. This is, that's when it started to change. Yeah. I think there was a couple of reasons why Verizon had that mentality. One was the network was really paramount and they spent so much money then and still do today on maintaining and providing the best network. So in terms of assets, like I can totally understand why they would want to feature it. But the other thing was 
this was back when GSM versus CDMA yeah. was a big deal on the engineering side. And so the Razer didn't come to Verizon first. Um, there are other famous yeah. phones that didn't come to Verizon first, right? So I think that was something else was we didn't we weren't always the first to have these devices. And so that's why we had to push so hard on the network superiority. And we we would train on that and think about like, you know, it's great if you have a, a nice looking phone, but if it doesn't work when you really need it, yeah. then so I remember that's the point. when the razor did come to Verizon and people Me were too. upset because it disabled the Bluetooth was disabled, like lim limited, right? Do you remember this? Bluetooth gate 2006. Yep. yep. So <laughs> to, to refresh everybody's memory, because we look, we all live through it and we all have different experiences of this. Uh, but okay, so <laughs> the crux of it is that, and Verizon was notorious for being really strict about um, what, you, more strict than the other carriers about what people could do with their phones, right? And so yeah. from my recollection of this, that that when the when the uh, the razor the the razor came out to come to Verizon, there was um, some of the. This is where it gets really nerdy, but Bluetooth has different profiles depending on what you can do. So if you want to listen to music in stereo on Bluetooth, it had to have um, a specific Bluetooth profile installed. If you wanted to do like data transfer, like file transfers, it had to do another. And so there was this profile this protocol called uh, Obex which was um, disabled. Object exchange. Object exchange, yes, which was disabled. Um, and I think they also didn't, meant you couldn't do a lot of things over USB either because they wanted you to do everything through them. It was because of um, MMS, multimedia messaging, yeah. right? So if you had the Bluetooth on, then you could send photos from your phone to your computer. That was one of the early use cases. And then there was also a secondary use case around mobile access, right? So you could use your phone as a modem. Although the, oh, yeah, 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 the yeah. Bluetooth speeds were so slow. I never, yeah, I was just like. If, it almost wasn't worth it. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was so sad, but. Um, Did anyone come into the store angry about this? Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> People came into the store angry because this guy was. <laughs> oh, and I remember there was a lawsuit about this and it wasn't just the Razer. There were a couple of other Motorola phones, the Motorola V710 and E815 yeah. that were affected by this. And so I'm trying to remember, I think the settlement was like a nominal credit and then a gift card to yeah. buy an accessory. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I remember processing the settlement. <laughs> so there was a class action suit over this. Verizon lost. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I remember. Did you get your card charger? Uh, <laughs> your free card charger, your free case or whatever. Oh, I, I yeah. I don't, uh, no, don't, don't laugh. But I was on Sprint at the time. Ouch. I know. I, I I couldn't afford any. I don't know if I could afford anything else, but um, I was. On, I could only afford Verizon because I worked there. Let's yeah, I, I was on Sprint for a long time, and then I switched to T-Mobile. Um, I think when the, which we'll talk about later, the HCG one came out. But but the Razer as a as a piece of hardware was really nice, right? It was, um, like people. It was like a sexy phone. Like people really. It it was. The, I mean, it that phone was definitely a status symbol. Like you would see it in. Like people were, do you saw, I mean, something that people like, like to be photographed with, I guess. Um, yes. And it felt sexy when you yeah. took it out of the box or when you flipped it open because the of the flip. way it balanced. Yeah. The flip yeah. was really nice. I forgot about that. Mm -hmm. uh, I never, I, no, I never owned one because I was, I still was on the, I, had a, I was a trio at the time, but you really wanted there to be, uh, you know, something like that. And in fact, 
I, I think technically we're supposed to talk about this in the next episode, but we could talk about the Motorola Q real quick, which, you know, the, I have a story about this. So the internal code name for the Motorola, do you know what the internal code name at Motorola for the, the Q was? No, but I have so much about the Q. Okay. Tell me what it was. Okay. Razorberry. No. Yeah. So there, that was the, um, cause essentially what happened was they got their kind of, um, marching orders to come up with a razor like version of the Blackberry. And I had somebody at Motorola like leak this to me. And so I did a, about it. It was about a year before the Q came out. Cause they just started working on it or been working on it for a little while, but, um, it was still, you know, it takes them two years to you know, develop a phone. And, uh, and I, I posted something on Engadget about it and I got a cease and desist from, I think I got one from Motorola and I think also from Blackberry actually. Wow. And, uh, and I was like, come at me and they never did anything. But, um, but yeah, this was something that, I mean, the Motorola Q was a hotly awaited phone, which then kind of went nowhere. I think I did sell a lot of Motorola Qs though. Did people buy them? Cause if, but it felt like it took, came out, it was delayed when it came out and then it kind of mm-hmm. didn't quite live up to the hype. You know who bought them? Who? Was um, employees of companies that had like discount programs. So back in the day, I guess this, this might still be a thing, but back in the day, what we used to do is we would like go to the big companies. So like in San Jose, this is like your Adobe, your Yahoo, your whatever big company at the time. And we would like set up a table in the cafeteria and we would sell phones with employee discounts. And I remember um, working with a few of these companies and they had um, exchange servers. And so they didn't want their, they, they, people could use trios, but they wanted people on windows mobile and they might have a Bez server, Bez being Blackberry, but the, but the emphasis was always on windows because the hardware was so much cheaper. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was Microsoft's angle, right? Which was that you didn't have to, because you actually had to, for corporate, for company to set up uh, corporate email, they actually had to go and get a server, like a physical piece of hardware. Yeah. And they paid licenses per employee. You're right. I completely forgot about all that. Thousands of dollars. I can't remember exactly the cost, but if you wanted to set up a server, it was like, it was a big deal. No, it was a huge, it's a huge thing. Yep. Yeah. Bez. What was that? Blackberry Exchange server? I'm trying to remember what it was. Yeah. Um, wow. That, I, I, I totally forgotten about that. Um, in fact, actually, one of my portfolio companies reached out to me about a contact that I'm connected on on LinkedIn. And yeah. they're like, can you connect me with this person? And I was looking at the person and I'm like, how do I know them? How do I know them? I swear what came to mind is I think I sold this person a Motorola Q in 2006. I'm not even kidding. Well, now you have the perfect <laughs> way to reach out. <laughs> Hey, you still enjoying that cue? <laughs> How's that going? You could just follow up, right? I'm just following up to see how it's going. If you're still happy. That might be a little awkward. And by the way, if you don't mind, I could introduce you yeah. to this portfolio. By the way, things have changed a little so. bit since I used to wear a red polo shirt and harass you in the cafeteria. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to upgrade? So Yeah. Um you know, yeah, man. Um, but anyway, we get uh, one phone I wanted to talk about uh, was also the um, the N gauge. Oh, the Nokia, Nokia N gauge, right? Yeah. Do you remember this phone? I we never had it, but I remember it. Like I can still, I feel like I can see in my mind um, an ad with the N gauge kind of like coming in from the left hand side of the screen and flipping around. <laughs> like, so with some kind of music in the background. 
the the engage so this came out uh fall of 2003 and this was nokia's attempt to make a gaming like kind of a hybrid game console mobile game console and phone oh yeah and um it ran symbian series 60 which series 60 at the time was sort of their um like most popular uh kind of runtime for uh for phones and this phone was a huge disaster uh i mean first off the phone the, the form factor i mean it's it's kind of definitely like a game console first and a phone second so much so that if you want to make a phone call you have to hold the phone you had to hold the end gauge kind of up on its side like on the edge and kind of talk into the side of the phone which created this whole meme called side talking do you remember this at all yeah yes if, so if you're listening google side talking and i think you will still find a hilarious set of uh photos I'm looking that up right but now. It was the thing is that a lot of manufacturers tried to take advantage of gaming in a way. And like, like, cause Sony did this too with Xperia, right? It was a couple of years yep. later, yep. but yeah. similar thing. It just didn't take off. I, I think, um, oh, man, there's a lot of reasons why it didn't work, but, um, I mean, I think part of it was, it's also at the time it was expensive. And I, and I think if the kind of target audience for mobile gaming was, uh, I mean, definitely like, you know, teenagers and kind of younger consumers and, and not necessarily, you know, they don't necessarily have the um, disposable income to buy. I mean, it was, it was $300. At it wasn't least, super right? on contract. And I think that was sub, and I think that was sub, yeah, yeah. that was stuff subsidized. So, you know, you had to sign up for a service plan. And, and I, and I, I think that was, that was tough for a lot of people to have as uh, their primary phone. Also, one of the things that I think is, well, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say the competition in mobile gaming was, it was like the the DS, right? Didn't the DS first start coming out around the same time soon? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think you could buy one for less money and still have your regular phone yeah, exactly. <laughs> for phone calls, which worked better at that. Um, the other thing, that, but the, the thing that I thought was hilarious about the, um, about the N-Gage and why I think it was Nokia released something with the side talking features because... Uh, when I one of the things I heard from talking with people that sort of were familiar with with the decision process at uh, at Nokia was that everyone there, uh, all the executives who worked there, they all use Bluetooth headsets, and so they never picked up a phone and talked into it. And so the idea that you would have a, like oh. that it would be an issue just kind of slipped by in this weird way. Oh yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, so you kind of see people make these weird kind of these, these kind of weird decisions that come out when people, uh, um, you know, aren't really using their own devices in the way that, uh, uh an everyday person would. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, I definitely want to touch on that and it won't be the last time Nokia goes down that path, um, of especially making weird phones. But, um, the, uh, did you ever play around with any of the windows mobile phones or pocket i guess they're oh, pocket yeah. phones at this time all right so we have a couple from AudioVox, right yeah yeah so we had i remember there was one that was like a candy bar form factor i think that's the 6600 and then there was one that had like a slide out qwerty keyboard the 6700 and it had the like 6700 and a little antenna so wait the, the 6600 that was a really popular phone i'm pretty sure it was yeah because i remember it as um so I don't think we had, I'm Googling it right now. I don't feel like we had the, maybe it did have a QWERTY keyboard like tucked underneath, but I remember it as just. The 6600, I think had a keyboard that slid down. Yeah. Okay. That's right. That's right. 
Yeah. Um, and this was, uh, I mean, Pocket PC Phone was its own, I mean, it had its own, its own ecosystem. We can kind of talk, go back. In fact, one of the things I want to make sure we do talk about, we can talk about now, is the, um, the HTC Canary, which this phone came out in 2002 and was the first uh, Windows mobile smartphone. I'm trying to remember exactly what uh, they called the OS at the time. Because so Microsoft had a, they had the Pocky PC OS, they had Windows Mobile, which then had the Pocky PC version and then what they called the smartphone version. And the Pocky PC version was meant to be sort of the more PDA like touchscreen, QWERTY keyboard, maybe. Uh, and then smartphone was meant to be kind of more T9, not didn't have a touchscreen. And so the Canary was the first uh, phone that came out for that. It had, the thing I'll remember is it had a, uh, a, a T9 keyboard, which is almost unusable, which mm-hmm. I thought was kind of ironic considering that was the only real form of input. Uh, and then this sort of um, really basic um uh, you know, version of Windows Mobile, which felt was really limited, even compared, especially compared with with Pocket PC, the Pocket PC phone OS, and um, you know, but it was, uh, you know, to me, interesting to sort of see, uh, you know, Microsoft trying to do these two things, and I think conceding, which I think reflected the strategy I was saying earlier about, um, you know, from Bill Gates, like they were trying to do kind of a, a enterprise version and a consumer version, and that was not a winning strategy for them. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So I'm looking at these reviews on Amazon of the XV6600. Okay. What are you finding? Okay. So it also had a 0.3 megapixel camera. And I would like to quote this review. Where did it go? Oh, it says, they decided to include a 0.3 megapixel camera on this phone. You have to stand right on top of an object to take any decent pictures of it. I sat four feet from my fan and took a picture of it, and the picture was grainy and useless. So, what is what is that from? Because it's like, what are your expectations around uh... <laughs> 0.3 megapixels? <laughs> also, I had forgotten about this, but now that I've looked at this review, I am remembering with distinct clarity about the issues that these phones, as well as the Trio, occasionally would have, where they would just like the processors would be overloaded and the phones would just completely freeze and oh, yeah. become unresponsive. Yeah. And it and sometimes like part of the screen would still be responsive and the other part of the screen would be frozen, but the most common thing we would have to do is pull the battery. And with a Trio, if you pulled the battery, you wiped the phone. So that was like a real issue. But with these, I don't remember it wiping the phone, but I do remember it like on a regular basis. And I can remember recommending to customers, just pull your battery every night before you charge it. Just what? like proactively <laughs> do a soft reset because ain't nobody got any faith in these Windows <laughs> devices. I, I love that that's like advice you could realistically offer to people, which is like, just man, <laughs> just take the battery out every night and, and pop it, uh, you know, and, and pop it back in. Um, and it, it, the funny thing is, I mean, uh, you can barely even get a phone with a uh, swappable battery today. Um but back, in the, back day, in the day, you could buy multiple batteries, and you could get extended yeah. batteries. Oh, that's right! And it would have this gigantic pack on the on the back of it. Um, yeah. Did you ever? I actually think I carried a spare Trio battery at some point. Like just yep. like I think yep. maybe when I go to like CES, I would walk around with like a spare battery in my pocket. 
and them. Yep. I kind of miss that actually. <laughs> that was helpful. It was not it too bad. bad. Like you could pop the battery out. And especially I remember when um, the iPhone first came out, that was a big point that we would talk about in the store. So you can't take the battery out. So what happens is the oh, phone that's doesn't the... work. That was really... <laughs> how are you going <laughs> to soft reset the phone? <laughs> <laughs> it was a commonly used tactic. We soft reset phones all day, oh, every day. Man. Oh, man. Uh, any other phones we want to talk about from this era? Or do we want to wrap this up? Um, I think I do. Are, are we wrapping up 2005? I think well, I think we want to, I still kind of want to do 2005 and well, how much of 2005 do you want to do in this episode? <sighs> I think we could, I think we should probably wrap it up because we're at like okay. 40 minutes once we make now, a look at it. So I mean, I could listen to many hours of people talking about phones, but, um, but maybe we'll Me try too. to keep it to like a reasonable length. There are some phones from 2005 I want to talk about. I want to talk about the HTC Universal uh, and as a teaser for next episode. Uh, I have a story involving this phone that involves Jaw Rule. Okay, we got to hear it. You got it. You got it. You know what? We're gonna te- gonna. That's a teaser preview for next episode. I feel like also um, we like it's copyrighted, but can we use some Jaw Rule music? <laughs> 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 Wait, is there music I, for this? I don't know. Is he? Podcast? I think is he still in prison? I don't know, but there's there's got to be a song between with Ja Rule and Ashanti that would just be perfect. <laughs> for this yeah. Well, let's you know what. Let's find out who uh, who gets who's hosting and if who gets sued if there's a copyright issue. So, actually, you know what we could do is we could use a polyphonic ringtone. Oh, if we can find that. <laughs> I don't know how I could find it, but I mean, it's perfect because polyphonic ringtones were also a differentiating feature at this point in time. Okay. So, you know, what was your, what was your go-to ringtone? Cause I know what mine was. Oh. And you remember the funny thing about ringtones is how much people would pay. People were like, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to buy a song for 99 cents. And then you're like, uh, I'll, but I'll spend $9 on this ringtone. You know, it's like, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I can't tell you my go-to ringtone. I think I just always kept my phone on vibrate. Oh. But I will tell you that I had a manager at this point in time. Yeah, whose go-to ringtone was "The Gambler" by Kenny Rogers. Kenny Rogers, okay. It's I, ruined the song for life for me. I can never even listen to it now. <laughs> Mine was um, "The Final Countdown" by Europe. <laughs> nice. <laughs> which, as a polyphonic ringtone, really worked. <laughs> Really, well, maybe really we worked. could use it as our exit. That might we'll be have to use jaw rule okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna see if I can I, we can find that. Um, okay. Well, everyone, thanks for listening and sticking with us for this. Uh, we'll move on and t- we'll move forward in time <laughs> for the next episode. And uh, uh, if do we have a way for people to reach us? I mean, I'm if they have comments or anything, I mean, I'm Peter at betaworks.com yeah, if anybody, or Twitter at Peter Rojas on yeah. Twitter if you have comments or feedback or have a phone you want us to talk about. Yes. It has to be old. Nothing, no iOS, no Android. That's, I think, our one rule. Yeah, it has to be pre-iOS, pre-Android, but otherwise it's fair game. And ideally, there has to be some sort of, something tragic about it, <laughs> like some sort of like, <laughs> <laughs> that's especially, I especially want things that have this sort of like maudlin kind of like what could have been air to them. Also, if you have any photos of old phones or have any phones around, any old phones around, and you would take a picture and send it to us, we'd love to see it. Yeah. Um, and if any of you have a, a, a really old phone where you can still download polyphonic ringtones. We need you. Yeah, we have, <laughs> we have some things to request of you. <laughs> <laughs>
Awesome. All right. I didn't say where you could reach me. I'm at I'm Christy Pitts on Twitter. That's I am Christy Pitts and Christy at backstagecapital.com. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. See you next time.